Today is a special day because today, well, actually tomorrow, but today we're actually celebrating 12 years as a church. 12 years. And I give God praise for that. And I want to tell you it's a special thing because to survive, they said that uh, the city of Dade County is the second most unchurched city in the nation. Just think about that. Where every, the average church closes within a year, right? And I've seen the hands of God through our ministry because we have done what most people say in the city of Miami is impossible, and that is survive as a church with no other sponsoring church. So the thing that, let me just explain, just sit down for a moment, and then we'll, we'll stand up for the reading of the Word of God. But when we first opened up our church, the way that it worked was the Lord surprised me and put in my heart to start a church. And when you start a church plant, you usually have a bigger, more successful, thriving, financially stable church help you for a few years. And every church planner that are still friends of mine and everyone that, some of them, unfortunately, their church is closed down and they moved to other states. But I remember all of our, my friends, they were getting sponsors from different churches. And these churches had a lot more money. They were from out of state, which I didn't even know was a thing, but out of state churches were supporting churches down here in Miami and they were getting financial help and they were strong and everything. And I was praying for a sponsoring church that said, Lord, we need help. We need financial help. We need strength. And wouldn't you know that we got a sponsoring church, but they said, we're going to sponsor you and help you, but we can't help you financially. We'll help you with, you know, we'll help you with support. We'll, we'll give you advice. We'll give you. So we were the only church plant with no sponsoring financial church. I was scared. I wasn't sure how we were going to make it, how we were going to survive. And I just left it in the hands of God. And even the sponsoring church that was helping us out, even they couldn't survive and they closed down, unfortunately. It was so sad because then it really got scary. It's like, well, if they couldn't survive Miami, how are we going to do it? But God is good, amen? amen? And through a lot of struggle, and still struggle today, but every Sunday is a blessing from God. And I mean that. Because when you're a small church like this, every Sunday is a gift from God because you just don't know if you're going to meet next Sunday or next month or what's going to happen. So for us to celebrate 12 years of moving to different locations and setbacks, and how many know some of the setbacks? Most of you were all here for that. But to stand here today and hit the 12-year mark is just a reminder that with God, truly with God, all things are possible. So we need to praise God this morning. We're celebrating 12 years. I believe we're going to celebrate even more years. And I remember looking back and I was afraid. And I was saying, this is too expensive. How are we going to do it with just seven people? And the church began to grow, and then the church began to ungrow, and then ungrow some more, and then grow, and then ungrow. And it's been hard, but I want to tell you, in this church, not just because it's our church, I believe we have one of the best churches in the city. I really do. But I have had, I have with most of you here, some of the greatest relationships and friendships and congregations have been you guys. You know, that we love each other outside of church. Outside of church, I enjoy spending time with you guys. I enjoy doing life with you. And I just want to thank you guys from the bottom of my heart. Because I was just 23 years old. I, had, I, I didn't know anything about church planning. I didn't know anything about business and anything. All I knew was how to preach. That's the only gift God gave me. He's like, I know how to see the Bible, see things in the Bible that apply to life. It was by the grace of God that some of you said, I will trust a 23-year-old kid to lead me spiritually. And some of you, 
you were my age when I was born. Just think about that. And you trusted me to be your pastor. So I want to thank people like, like Nancy for, for allowing me to be your pastor when, when I was born, you were not retiring, you're not that old, but you know, you were, or, or, or Dennison and Sharon, the older people, or Maria and, and Juan and Cooking, all of you older people that take the chance on the younger generation to step out in faith and do the work of God and help us out financially and help us out with anything we need. So I want to applaud you guys for the faithfulness of helping our church out because it's not easy. So I asked the Lord, Lord, we're in a new series entitled All Things New, but I need one word of what I've learned these past 12 years. And this, I'm going to tell you from my heart the one thing I've learned but I want to read this passage of Scripture. So can we all stand for the reading of God's Word today? And in Genesis chapter 19, verse 26. Amen. Thank you, Frankie. Thank you. Can we get it up for Frankie? She's done so good too. Because worship leaders have it just as hard. But in Genesis chapter 19, verse 16. We're going to read... I know it's about the destruction of Solomon and Gomorrah. Like, Pastor, what are you thinking? But just hear me out. The Bible says, When Lot still hesitated, and the angel seized his hand, and the hands of his wife and two daughters, and rushed out to safety outside the city, for the Lord was merciful. When they were safely out of the city, one of the angels ordered, Run for your lives. Don't look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the mountains or you will be swept away. Oh no, my Lord. Lot begged. You have been so gracious to me and saved my life. And you have shown such great kindness. But I cannot go to the mountains. Disaster. Notice what he says. Disaster would catch up to me there. And I will soon die. And notice in verse 20. See there, there's a small village nearby. Please, let me go there instead. Don't you see how small it is? Then my life will be saved. All right, the angel said, I will grant your request. I will not destroy the little village, but hurry. Escape to it, for I can do nothing until you arrive there. This explains why that village was known as Zoar, which means in the Hebrew, little place. Lot reached the village just when the sun was rising over the horizon. Then the Lord rained down fire and burning sulfur from the sky of Sodom and Gomorrah. He utterly destroyed them along with the other cities and villages on the plain, wiping out all the people and every bit of vegetation. But Lot's wife looked back. She was following behind him. And she turned to a pillar of salt. Let's pray. Father, I just ask that you bless this word on this special Sunday, Lord. Where right now, Father, we're standing on 12 years of your faithfulness. And even now, Lord, as we go through pandemics and all these crazy things and some people have to stay home, and Father, we just thank You. Thank You, Lord, for being so good to us. I, pray that, I just pray that You use me this morning, Lord, after you, as You've done for 12 years. And help me to preach Your Word and help us to understand in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat as we go into the second part of our series, All Things New. I really wanted to share with you because as we go into our church 12 years, it was a new thing for us. It was a new thing for me. God had a new thing for my life and He led me to plant this church. But sometimes the new things that God has for your life can be so uncertain, so frightening that you just don't know if you can even do it. See, God was saving Lot from Sodom and Gomorrah, but even Lot hesitated. Did you guys catch that? Lot hesitated where the angel had to literally grab him and pull him out. And Lot's life became better and blessed 
and new again. Because even though you might hesitate, should I do it? Can I do it? I don't know if I'm smart enough, good enough. I don't know if I have the right to do it. I don't, I don't even know what God's going to do. Lot hesitated. But God got him through. And I really wanted to share this word this morning. I said, what if there's anything I've learned? Because people ask me all the time, new church planners that feel in their hearts to plant a church, I tell the first thing I tell them, don't do it. It's the first thing I tell young pastors, I want to plant a church. I said, don't do it unless you know without a doubt that you're called to do it. Because it will be difficult. It will be painful. So don't do it unless you know. But they always ask me, what have you learned most about 12 years of church planning? And of everything I can tell them, I want to tell you guys. The one thing, only one thing I've really took, I've taken into this whole journey is to be thankful or to be, to be grateful for everything that God's done, even when it seems little and insignificant. To be grateful. And it's very difficult for us in this life, especially in this country, for us to really appreciate the blessings of God around us. Especially the little things that we think are no big deal are actually a really great gift from God. And there's a spirit of ungratefulness in our nation. There's a spirit of ungratefulness in the churches. There's a spirit of ungratefulness in a lot of people today. And when I look back at my life and I look back at the 12 years as a church, I realize that some of those seasons I took for granted, some of those seasons I thought were not a big deal, some of the things I complained about, I look back now and I say, man, I should have been more grateful at that moment, but I wasn't. And that's the one thing I want to teach us today. Because all of us need to learn, when you're stepping into the new things of God, we need to step into them with an attitude of gratefulness. And gratefulness, you might think it's just saying thank you or Lord, thank you for this, but that's not what gratefulness is. Gratefulness is an attitude. It's not just something you utter out of your mouth because the worst of people can say thank you and still be living a life of bitterness and anger. Gratefulness is a choice. Gratefulness is an attitude. Gratefulness should be a lifestyle that is adopted, especially amongst the children of God. Amen? But today, gratefulness is something that even the best of Christians struggle with. I struggled with it yesterday. Can I confess our confession? Was, I messed up. Your pastor messed up yesterday. And I wasn't grateful. And this is what happened. You know, my brother and I decided yesterday, you know, we, there was a break in between the bad weather and we just said, let's go out fishing. So we got up at four in the morning to go out fishing. I was desperate. And we went out fishing. And as we were out there fishing, the sun was rising. It was beautiful. I was just enjoying the nature. I was worshiping God there. I was like, Lord, thank you for my life. And I was thinking, I mean, it was a great spiritual time. That's why you should let your men go fishing because it's spiritual. Amen. It's a blessing from God. It's where we get together to fellowship thy father. So let them fish. Ladies, he'll come back a better husband. All right? All right. Anyway. Where was I? Okay, so I was fishing, worshiping, fishing, and everything was great. It was a good day. And wouldn't you know, I hooked a beautiful fish. Brought him on the boat. Joy, smiles. I said, man, this is the best. This is great. And, and 
I remember that everything was just perfect at that moment because I got a nice fish, I brought him on the boat, and everything was just so great, but everything quickly turned around and it ruined my day and I was kind of frustrated and sad and moping around because um, Danny was catching more. Danny, let me show you a picture. This is Danny. Now, you see this smile that he has? It's not because he's happy, it's, it's an evil smile. Let me tell you something about Danny. He's a sore winner. And you know what a sore loser is. You know, how do you know what a sore winner is? Is when you're on top, you need to let everyone know you're on top. And when you're on top, you let, you let everyone know who's at the bottom that they're at the bottom. And all day long, Danny was catching bigger. His fish was bigger than mine. And then he was catching more. And the only fish I caught that day was the one fish in the morning. And Danny kept bringing them up. And Danny got bigger ones. And, and I noticed something. I know that it, was the, it wasn't me. It wasn't my fault. God was teaching me something for today. But I became unhappy. I became discontent and dissatisfied. But just a moment ago, I was happy and content and satisfied, but then I quickly turned unhappy, discontent, and dissatisfied. And you ask yourself, well, what happened, Pastor? Why did you get, all of a sudden, my fish was not good enough. My fish was actually pathetic. Because two things happened. I began to compare. Are you listening? I began to compare. And when I began to compare, I quickly noticed how small my fish really was. And when I began to really compare, I became very ungrateful that I even had a fish. And see, when I began to compare and be ungrateful, it changed everything. Now, my fish never changed in size. It was the same size when I was happy, and it was the same size when I was miserable. The only thing that changed was my perception because I allowed comparison and ungratefulness to settle in my mindset. And when that comparison allowed that ungratefulness to come in, I looked at that one fish that made me once happy, and I was so ashamed of it and embarrassed and the fish that was once nice and great turned out to be small and not good enough and I would not be happy that day until I got bigger and I got more fish and I beat Danny and Danny kept reminding me he even said man I smell like fish and I smell like why don't you smell like fish and he got his fingers, you know, smell that, look at that, I smell like fish, right? Man, you smell clean. Evil. Twin. Nanny. But you see, what's interesting is that I was happy and then not. Because I allowed ungratefulness to come in. I should have been grateful not only for the fish, but the fact that I could even be out there. Spending time with my family, just enjoying life. But that not enough mentality came into my heart. And you might think, well, Pat, it's a little much, but do you think today, in the time that we're living in, that we're living in an era, a culture of not good enough? It's not good enough what I have. It's not good enough where I live. It's not good enough what I, where I work. It's not good enough who I'm married to. It's not good enough. I need more. I need better. I need bigger. And you begin to draw comparisons to other lives, other people, other body figures, other bank accounts, other lives and social media. And quickly when you begin to draw comparison, the one thing that once made you happy, all of a sudden your perception changes. It's not 
not good enough. It's not great enough. I need it to be better. I need it to be nicer. I need it to be bigger. I need it to be more beautiful. I need more. I want more. It's not enough. It's not good enough. And now you become unhappy. You become discontent. You become dissatisfied because you're living a life of not only this constant comparison, but now you become ungrateful. You ignore the blessings that God has given you because you're thinking about what you haven't gotten yet. You're thinking about what other people have. And now the one things that used to make you happy, you look at and you no longer appreciate because it's not enough because now you got to be like someone else because they have it. And you allow ungratefulness to come into your heart and it makes you miserable and discontent and unhappy and dissatisfied because now the very blessings of God are not good enough and you look at them like they're not they're just small and the things that look too small for you you will take for granted and when you take things for granted you mistreat it and when you mistreat it it only makes you more unhappy and more miserable so this is why today we live in a culture where depression, anxiety, divorce, debt, suicide is at an all-time high. And people think, oh, you know why? It's because of the pandemic. It's not because of the pandemic that people are going through more depression. It's not because of pandemic because people have more anxiety. It's not because of a pandemic that people want to kill themselves and commit suicide and have more debt. The only reason that people are living with more stress and depression and anxiety, the only reason that divorce is the highest it's ever been and debt is because we are people that are naturally seeking more and become ungrateful for the little things we have right now. So you think depression and anxiety and divorce and debt and suicide, all of these things currently at an all-time high in our country because we take things for granted. And listen, church, whatever you take for granted will make you miserable. Whatever you take for granted is going to make you miserable. Let me give you an example. It's all perception. If you take your job for granted, you take for granted the fact that you're even able, physically, you're healthy enough to even work. You take that for granted. You go to work in your car and you're stuck in traffic, but you're you quickly forget and become ungrateful that you even have a car. Then we, we complain about gas, yes, but thank God you have a car that you can actually fill. And then as you battle traffic to get to work, you quickly complain about the things you got to do and the people that annoy you and the boss that takes you for granted. And you quickly become, you take everything else for granted. And now you just become miserable at your job. And then you come back home to face the same traffic, to go back home. And now the kids are acting crazy. You come home to your spouse. And these are all things you take for granted. But what if your perception changes? And you realize that it's a blessing to even get out of bed in the morning. It's a blessing to go to work, to be able to work. It's a blessing to get a paycheck at the end of the week or two weeks. It's a blessing to be able to, oh, I barely make it, but you make it. Oh, but I'm paycheck to paycheck. At least you're going paycheck to paycheck. Your perception that everything you have in your life is a gift from God. 
You take your job for granted. You can take your spouse for granted. You know, we complain about our spouse and what they do, whatever. There is a widow or some crazy single person that will snatch him right out of your hands. But see, the shoes that I leave on the floor and the dirty dishes I leave in the sink, it's just to remind Jerrica that she's married. And she's no longer single. Amen. Ladies. So you, you, you get those dishes and you say, Lord, thank you that I have a husband. <laughs> but you just got to be grateful. Be grateful for the dirty diapers. Because they're going to grow up to be teenagers and want nothing to do with you. Be grateful. Oh, but, but my house is too small, but it's a house. Be grateful for any roof you're under. Be grateful. I learned this in my life of 12 years here with you guys because I look back at our church and I realize that even our church can be taken for granted. And we get so used to Sundays and the same thing. But now I look back, I remember when, when we moved into the warehouse in Medley. How many of you were there for Medley? You remember Medley? And we worked hard. You know that for those, um, for those eight years in Medley, we would, we would always say, man, we, we, we wish, I wish we had our own building. Remember that? We, I wish we had our own building, our own building, our own building. And I look back and I say, man, you know what? I should have been more grateful that we haven't even had a place to meet. That's why I come here now. I don't say, oh, I'm going to pray for a new building. No, I pray for a new place of our own, but I also thank God for this one that we have. Yeah, oh, but it's not ours. I don't care if it's not ours. We get to meet every Sunday. I'm grateful. I'm grateful for every month that we make it, that's, that you guys say, you know what, it's hard, but I'm going to do my part and be obedient and I'm going to tithe. Because every month that we are, I'm able to walk to the church office over there in Miami Lakes and hand them our rent, yes, it's because of God, but it's also because of the faithfulness and obedience of you. And I'm grateful. Yes, our church is crazy. It is. But I'm grateful that I walk every Sunday to this church and I can focus on the empty pews or I can focus on you. And if I want to be miserable, I just look at the empty front row. Where are the deaf people? Why didn't they come? <laughs> or I can focus on you. And be grateful that COVID doesn't get you today and you're here. Amen? Be grateful that you're worshiping. It's all matter of perception. And in our country, we just become ungrateful because we ignore the little things that God does. I find it so ironically stupid that the top ten most influential people of our time, one of them is Kim Kardashian. A girl who's famous for I don't know what. Well, no. She makes, her net worth is $1.2 billion for selfies. And she's on her third marriage amidst struggling with depression. And it says all she wants is to find happiness. The top, one of the most influential people of our time with money that she could never run out of is seeking happiness through possessions, through relationships, moving on and on and on, struggling to sleep, struggling with anxiety, struggling with depression. Now you, you take that to mind and you think about a young girl in Nigeria that 
lives less than a dollar a day. And if you would go to Nigeria right now, one of the most impoverished countries in the world, you go to Nigeria right now, you would meet that little girl. If you would give her a dollar from, from Dollar Tree, a doll, and give it to that little girl, you will quickly notice a smile and joy and happiness that Kim Kardashian would give anything for. What's the difference? Gratefulness. Gratefulness. We've lost it. We've lost it. And I look back and I look back at our life as a church and I say, man, we, you know, we, we should have, we, we took that for granted. How many can look back at your life right now and recognize a few things you took for granted? Just took for granted. You look back and the things you complain about then, you say, man, I wish I can go back to that. I wish I can just go back to that time in my life, but during that time in my life, I remember being unhappy because I wanted something else. And so we live a life of having no peace, losing all joy, because we live with this constant state of not good enough, comparing yourself to other people, and we lose all sense of peace. Colossians 3.15, God teaches us this. He says, And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, this is the church, you're called to live in peace and always be what? Thankful. God tells His church, His people, that's us, I've called you to a life of peace. So therefore, let my peace rule in your hearts. The fact that it says, let that peace rule in your life, anytime you see the word let in the Bible is giving you a choice. And peace is a choice that you make. Peace doesn't come when you reach a certain milestone. Peace can only come when you allow it. And it comes through Jesus Christ, and it comes in the form of having a grateful or thankful attitude. It's not about just saying, thank you, God. But it's realizing that everything you have from the Lord is a blessing from God. You are to always be grateful, but it's a choice. It's a choice that becomes very difficult to make when you live in constant comparison to others. When you're convinced that peace comes when I can drive this car, when I can live in this house, when I have this amount of money, when I retire, when the kids leave, when this happens, when that happens, when I can afford this, when I reach this milestone in my life, then I can enjoy life, then I can have peace. And God says, no, peace is not a milestone. Peace is a choice today you make when you become grateful for where you're at right now. Be thankful for where you're at now while God takes you to where you need to be. But don't wait to have peace and oh, until I get there. No, peace is possible today when you live a life of thankfulness. Even in the little things. Lot's failure was that noticed in Genesis 13.10. Lot took a long look at the fertile plains of the Jordan Valley, which was in Sodom and Gomorrah. He looked at the long plains of the Jordan Valley in the direction of Zor. The whole area was well watered everywhere like a garden of the Lord. It was beautiful as the land of Egypt. And this was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. I want you to pick up on something here. See, Lot's failure was when he was looking out into the land, he saw Sodom and Gomorrah. 
It was nicer. It was bigger. It was greener. Yet what was unseen about that part of the land was the wickedness, was the immorality, was the ungodliness, and the future destruction that awaited it through God. And see, Lot did not even pay attention to that. He only saw the greener side and said, that's what I want. That's where I want to be. That's where I belong. And that's, I will not be happy until I get there. Because it's bigger, it's nicer, and it's greener. The Bible literally said it was greener. And this is what happens to us. You see, it always looks greener on the other side, amen? So you look at someone else's life. You look at someone else's post. No one's going to post on social media the truth. No one's going to post how miserable, how they fight, how the marriage is struggling, how the kids are evil, how broke they are. They only manipulate the filters and the angles and the perception to look like life is always an adventure, always happy, always great. I'm always just content, but it's all greener and greener is a lie. The valley of the Jordan there looks so green But he didn't even know that it was ungodly. In fact, a lot of us don't even know that in 2 Peter 2.7, the Bible says that as he rescued Lot, this is Abram, a righteous man who was distressed by the filthy lives of the lawless men. See, Lot got what he wanted. The greener side. But the Bible says he was in distress. That word distress in the Greek literally means to have anxiety, pain, and sadness. So when you looked at Lot, you might have thought, man, Lot is living life. Look at him. He's at the valley. He made it. He's on the greener side. He's in the bigger place. And if you would have looked at Lot from a distance, you might have been tempted to say, man, I wish I had what Lot had. I wish I can live like Lot. I wish I had what Lot owned. I wish I lived where Lot lived. I wish I ate what Lot ate. I wish I had his smile, his happiness, his joy, his money. I wish me, man, Lot has made it. I'm not going to be happy until I get what Lot has because look at him on the greener side but the New Testament reveals that while Lot was over there he was struggling with anxiety and stress and pain and sadness that's why the very first point I want to make is that greener isn't always true greener isn't always true Someone's life may be full of smiles, romance, vacations, excitement, laughter, money, good looks. And we think to ourselves, that's greener, that's where it's better. But what that person may not tell you is how they can't sleep at night. How unhappy they are. How empty they feel. How depressed they're going. they are at life. You look at a beautiful post with a married couple, but they're not going to tell you that they're thinking divorce. You're not always going to see the truth on the greener side. So here's the first advice I want to give you if you're struggling with ungratefulness. 1 Thessalonians 4.11, God, through Paul, tells the church, make it your goal, since this is a new year all about goal setting, I want to make a goal for you. Make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business. It's a command from God to mind your own business. Ironically, we live live currently today in one of the most privileged countries where life is easier. Here's what I find interesting. Our generation today has the highest depression rate. Stress and anxiety is owing all the way through even the youngest of people. You guys seen those toys with the little popping things that kids are into? I saw a little girl with one and I said, man, what is this? She goes, it's for my depression, for my anxiety. 
I'm like, girl, aren't you like six? She's like, I'm seven. But it's becoming so common. And the reason that stress is at an all-time high is because we're not minding our own business. Think about this. Way back when, a few generations ago, people were happier. Where are my older people at? 40 and up. Back then, we were happier. They had less. They had less money back then. Less thing. Every, back in the day, you needed a quarter to make a phone call. A dime. He's that old. A dime. You just aged yourself. <laughs> and you struggled, and you had to find a payphone to call someone or ask for directions. You look back then, and people say, how did we do it? You did it happy. Today, it's easier, but we're more miserable. Why? Because today, something changed. We're in people's lives more. A few years ago, you didn't know what someone else was doing. If someone went on vacation, you only knew if they told you about it when they came back. You didn't know much about anyone. Back then, people mind their own business. They worked for themselves. They did what they had to do. They preoccupied with their own family, their own things, their own lives. But today we step into this generation of comparison where in one click, in one window, we look at someone else's life, where they're living, how they look, how they lost weight, how they gain weight, where they're, what they're wearing, where they're going, who they're married to, who they're dating, their dogs, their cats, their whatever. And we're so caught up in other people's lives. that we become ungrateful for our own. Abraham lived, asked Law, which land do you want? He said, I want the greener side. And Abram said, okay, I'll take this. And Abraham's side was a lot more dry. It was a lot more empty. It wasn't as green as Lot's side. But you know what Abram did? Something so interesting. Going back to 1 Thessalonians 4.11, this is what Abraham did. The Bible says, make it your goal to mind your own business. What's that next word? And what? Working with your own hands. The Bible says, you mind your business and work with what you got. That's the difference between our generation and the ones before us. They work with what they have. They worked with what they had. They made it work. Abraham's lot, Abraham was in a drier land, an emptier land. His land was not as greener as Lot. It was not as bigger as Lot. It was not as nicer as Lot. But you know what Abraham did? Abraham said, well, you know what? I'm, I'm just going to work the field here. I'm just going to grow here. I'm just going to plow here. And wouldn't you know, God blessed them right there, and ultimately it became greener than lots. More blessed than any other land. And the, the Bible says that He said, look, north, east, south, and west, I'm going to bless the entire land. See, God can bless the life of a person that just makes it work and stops living with comparison. And just becomes grateful. How do you know you're grateful? You just work with what you have. And you stop looking at what God is doing at other things. You know, this set me free years ago as a pastor here. I kept looking at other churches. I kept looking at other church plans. I kept looking at other church members, other congregations. I kept looking at how what they were doing, how they were blessed with the building, or how they had more nicer sound equipment, or a full worship team. And I said, man, but what about us? And well, We're in a movie theater, or we're in a warehouse, and we don't have a full band, and this, and well, God doing this over there and God's blessing that church but what about our church and look at their congregation man that congregation treats the pastor like a king look at mine it drives me crazy Lord you know what set me free 
I worked with what God gave me. God gave me you. So I said, it's going to work with you. God just gave me, and I sometimes look at, and I look at God up, and I say, well, I'll make it work. Thank you. But that's what you got to do. You know, I, I looked at other churches, and some were just so calm and quiet. I come on Sunday, and first person I see is Jade. Ah! You know? <laughs> but I'm grateful for all of you. But about six years prior to today, I was set free from this. Because I said, Lord, I'm just going to make it work. So everywhere God put us, we made it work. Genesis 13.10, going back to that. Notice what the Bible says. Lot took a long look at the fertile plains of the Jordan Valley, the greener side. But notice it said, in the direction of Zor, the little place. The second failure that Lot made was he was so caught up in Sodom, the greener side, he ignored Zor. Now that word in the Hebrew, it literally means little and insignificant. Right next to the greener valley was a little village, insignificant, and Lot didn't even notice it because he was so caught up in Sodom and Gomorrah. Bigger, greener, easier, nicer. And when he, he didn't even see the village of Zoar. And that spoke to me. Because he looked and ignored that little village. But when Sodom and Gomorrah was being destroyed, Lot begged the angel, can you please let me go to Zor? It's interesting that all of a sudden, what was insignificant and too little became so desirable and vital when crisis came. And I want to just share a little word of wisdom here that I've learned in these 12 years in our church. What was small and insignificant, whatever that is in your life, is interesting. Because what's small and interesting in your life now can become a great blessing when God takes it away. When God is, just allows crisis. And sometimes God will allow a crisis in your life to get you to appreciate the small and insignificant in your life. And how many of you know this is so true in your own life? That it took problems and it took setbacks and crisis for you to open up your eyes and appreciate those little things that you kept ignoring and thought it wasn't good enough. And Zora, the little village, was not good enough. He ignored it because he was so focused on the greener side. But when Sodom and Gomorrah was being destroyed, he told God through the angels, please help me, I want to go there now. That's why we have to learn as a church that those little things and insignificant things now should never be taken for granted. Amen? Every, and I learned this when our last church was sold. Remember, I was thinking greener. I wanted a better building that was ours to do more and this and that. And the minute our church was sold and we had nowhere to go, guess what I wanted? Our little Zor. That, that church that I was telling God, God, how long are we going to be here? God, how long? When can we find our... I would give anything to go back to those eight years. Yes, things was... It was ghetto, man. It was crazy rigged. It was a fire hazard up there on the roof. Remember that, Maria? Remember? But we got good with the fire inspector... He turned the blind eye in Jesus' name, you know, he blinds people. But how many of you were looking? If you were there, 
were not were those years not some of the best? And I look back and I said, man, at that moment though, it was a little zor. I took it for granted. And sometimes I got to drive by there and I see what it used to be. And I said, man, and I look at that parking lot that used to be filled with youth and all the event. And I, and I look at that now and I said, God, forgive me. Every time I drive, I said, Lord, forgive me. I should have been more grateful. And then when, when we had no place and we, we, we met in Maria's house, I said, wow, what? Now what, Lord? Wow, we're in Maria. But ironically, those little services we had in Maria's house were some of the best years of my life. It really was. And you know why? You know why it was some of the best years of my life? Really, it was because of you guys, most everyone here. I think everyone here, if you remember those times. Because in Maria's house, God showed me who was really a part of this church. And all of you here were in that living room, cramped up, learning the Bible, because you said, building or not, you're my pastor. Building or not, this is my church. And there is where I knew... I knew. The other people that left, I'm glad. Because I knew they love this church and they love me. And I look back now and I said, man, but I treated it like Zor. Little and insignificant. But now, anytime we meet for Bible study, I don't care where it's at, what it looks like. You put a sheet on a tree and call it a church, I'm grateful. But back then, I wasn't. Because like Lot, we're just looking at the greener. That's why God gives us another word of advice in Zechariah 4.10. Do not despise. That word despise in the Hebrew literally means to treat something insignificant. Do not despise. Do not despise. Do not treat or look at things insignificant. Do not despise these small beginnings. For the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. Maybe you're at a small beginning right now in your own life. You're building a business. You're working and saving for a home. You're, you're desiring something greener, and that's okay. But it can get us to despise where you're at right now. Treat it insignificant. But pastor, I, I, I really want my own business. I really want my house. I, I really want to call the shots. I, I really want kids. I really want to be married. I really, and that's okay. But if you're where you're at now, look, do not despise it. Say, Lord, thank you. Don't despise your life because it's not where you want it to be. Don't despise your marriage because it's not what you thought. Don't despise singleness. Don't despise anything when it seems insignificant for you. You say, oh, Pastor, how do I live with gratitude? Not how do I say thank you or how do no. How do I live with gratitude? Can I help you this morning with this? You guys blessed today? How do you live? Yeah, give God praise today. How do you live? How do you live with gratitude? I guarantee if you listen now and do what I'm about to teach you, you may never complain again. How many need that in your life? You may never complain again. Here it is. Look at verse 16. 
of the opening verse we read. When Lot hesitated, the angel seized his hand and the hand of his wife, his two daughters, and rushed him to safety outside the city. For the Lord was merciful. Here's the key to living a life of gratitude. This new year, new life. The Bible said God was merciful. Mercy is when God withholds punishment you deserve. Think about that. Mercy is when God withholds punishment. So when Lot said God has been merciful, Lot realized that he was saved and rescued from Sodom and Gomorrah, and he did not deserve that. You say, well, Pastor, what's your point? Here's the point. The key to living a life of gratitude, the key to never complaining again, living a life of contentment, happy, satisfaction, however you want to call it in pain, the key to being grateful and content and having peace and ending all complaint and comparison is simply this one thing. One thing. Recognize that everything we have, every good thing you have, you do not deserve. What do we really deserve as a people? Separation from God, hell, destruction. That's it. Anything good outside of that, we don't deserve. We don't deserve it. You know why people live ungrateful today? It's because they're entitled. And entitlement is a plague ruining our country. Entitlement ruins our church. Entitlement it can, find, can be found anywhere. There's entitled teenagers, amen? Entitled children. I have an entitled dog now. It's in our animals. It can go into our church. Congregation. Entitlement can creep into our marriage. Where you actually think you deserve to be happy. You deserve it. Oh, I worked hard. I deserve this. You don't even deserve the ability to work hard. The key to being grateful is recognizing I don't deserve anything. You want to be cured from the greener on the other side syndrome? Mind your business. Work with what you have. Yes, if the grass is greener on the other side, then work on your own grass and make it greener. Mind your own business. Work with what you have. Don't despise the little things God's doing because recognize that everything good you have, you do not deserve. You don't deserve the breath in your lungs. And when you recognize you deserve nothing, everything becomes a blessing. So you leave this church, this little church, Zor Fellowship, that's the new name. You leave this little church and say, thank you, Lord. You leave, you worship in this little worship band, team, whatever, and say, thank you, Lord. You go outside and you walk in the property that's not even ours and say, thank you, Lord. You go through these walls that are clean and the floor that's clean, you say, thank you, Maria and Lord. You go to your children and pick them up and say, thank you, Paola and Lord. 
that my kids are growing. Oh, but it's not a full children's program. They don't have a massive playground outside. They don't have the state-of-the-art this and that. Those little brats of yours right now are getting the best spiritual revival in that little thing. Let me tell you, they are. They are. Be grateful for everything we have. Be grateful. Because little is not only a blessing from God. But what if I told you little is a test? Luke 16.10 If you're faithful in what? Little things. You'll be faithful in large ones. How, do, how does God want you to know that you'll be faithful in the large things? He puts you through seasons of little. Be faithful in the little. Let's all stand. We give God praise for the little, everything we have. As Frankie comes up, are we grateful for Frankie? Come on. He works hard. Because you can, you can walk into our church and look at all the little insignificant things. Wow, it's a small crowd. They don't have a full band. You know, you can look at anything. It's, it's so easy to look at something and find what's wrong with it. Amen? Change your perception. And look at everything you have and say, God, I don't deserve this. Look at your spouse right now and say, I don't deserve you. I don't deserve you. <laughs> Come on, Stephanie, you can do it. Come on, <laughs> You did it, all right. Look at everything. You know, you look at your kids today and say, I don't deserve you, kids. But I'm grateful. You go home today and say, Lord, I'm grateful. It's okay to have green dreams. That's what we're going to call them. Green dreams are okay. But don't let your green dreams rob you of the peace of the little things God's doing. That's what I've learned in my 12 years. And we give God the glory and the praise for 12 years. 12 years of hardship. 12 years of wandering. 12 years of God when and God how. 12 years of teaching every Wednesday, every Sunday, barely getting time off. I mean, 12 years of counseling. 12 years of weddings and funerals. 12 years of meetings. 12 years of problems. 12 years of teaching the Word of God. And if the Lord is willing and able, I will do it the rest of my life, Lord. Because it is an honor to serve God even in the little. So you go and leave this church today. You get in your car and say, thank you for this car. You drive and say, thank you for the ability to drive. You Don't you honk that horn. Until you say, thank you for your grace that forgives me for what I'm about to say to this driver. Thank Him. And destroy entitlement. Say, Lord, I deserve nothing. Let's all pray. Father, I thank You for this 12 years. Father, I thank You for the new things You're doing. I thank You for the old things You've done. I thank you for getting us through problems and pandemics. You've gotten us through financial crises. You've gotten us through problems and setbacks. You've gotten through betrayal and lies. You've gotten us through. I thank you for the people that call forward their home. I thank you for the people that are coming here that are new. I thank you for the people that even left this church because we learned something from them too. I'm grateful, Father, for every Sunday we can preach your word. I'm grateful for every Wednesday night we can read one verse through the Bible. I'm grateful, Father, for a clean church through our hospitality. I'm grateful for great children through our children's ministry. 
I'm thankful that every Sunday we can read the Bible through a screen because of Barbie. I'm thankful, Lord, that the deaf can hear the word through Gito. I thank you, Father, for Frankie, whose worship team might be pathetic to the eyes of anyone that sees it because, what, there's only three, four of you? But, Father, you have blessed us with worship for years. Thank you. Because I take, I think, Lord, it takes faith and it takes a crazy person to make this church their home. But we're grateful, Lord, because we deserve nothing. Forgive us for letting our green dreams rob us of our peace. For treating the things that we have as insignificant and not good enough. For every day is a gift. Every breath is a gift. So Father, as you continue to move in our lives and in our church and make our dreams a reality, let today's reality be a gift that we recognize and live to be grateful. Forgive us for being entitled, discontent, unhappy, We thank you. Can we thank him now, church? Come on. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. Give God some praise today. God bless you all.